Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I was thinking about the Word of God for the sermon this morning, I came across a painting. More specifically, what you may have noticed is the painting on the front cover of your bulletin this morning. A Rembrandt painted some 392 years ago of St. Paul in prison. And as I thought about what the Word of God tells us in our epistle reading, 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, and as I thought about Paul, I kept coming back to that painting. Coming back to that painting because I admit when I first read that epistle reading, it did not strike me as a very emotional reading. Perhaps you can relate to that that when you heard or read for yourself just a few moments ago the epistle reading, it's not one that struck you very emotionally at all. Perhaps the text even seemed a bit dry, like just simple instructions from a mentor to a protege, what you would expect Paul to be saying to Timothy, to stand firm in his faith that All of God's word, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for pretty much everything. Don't wander off spiritually. Yet I came back to that painting because that painting made me realize in the context of this letter, in the context of Paul's life, in the context of Paul's ministry, these words that we read from 2 Timothy for Paul carry an immense emotional force, because 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter, written in the period just prior to his death, his execution, while he was imprisoned in Rome. So in 2 Timothy, we don't just read another correspondence between Paul and Timothy, or even Paul and the Ephesian church, but we read the words that... Paul wants to leave his dear friend with, the words that Paul wants to leave the church with, that these words of our epistle reading are part of Paul's dying instruction in the faith. And just after our reading, Paul himself even admits he knows his own earthly life is nearing an end. Imagine for a moment what that must have been like to write that letter. Imagine the emotions Paul must have felt, bound in chains like a common criminal for openly proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and what that means for me and you. Knowing firsthand in his own life the very thing he warns Timothy of when he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's hard for us who live in fairly secure communities in the 21st century to imagine what that must have been like. But if you look at that front of your bulletin cover again, that painting gives us some insight into perhaps what those moments were like. 
See, that painting doesn't sugarcoat Paul's situation. In the bottom left-hand corner, it's a little hard to see, but you see the chains by which he says he was bound. And right next to Paul is a sword, the weapon that is historically understood to have been used by the Roman Empire to kill him. There's what looks to be a blood stain on his sleeve and even perhaps bruising on his cheeks and on his forehead. Paul writes this letter not in a moment of grandstanding earthly success, but in a moment of extreme vulnerability, in a moment of immense personal hardship. And yet, in the midst of Paul's dark reality, in that cold dungeon, that miserable confinement, something very special is happening in that prison cell. Of all the truly depressing and terrible things that Paul could be focused on, his attention is not on any of those things. His focus is not on his personal struggles and hardships, nor even the fact his earthly life is soon coming to an end. No, Paul's focus is on a letter. The painting points us to the very things that Paul was focused on even in this terrible time for him in his life. And better yet, a light radiantly beams in through the window, illuminating the Bible that sits next to him on his bed. And although his body is battered and bruised, his foot rests comfortably on the rock in the middle of the room. The light beaming in on God's word, the very thing that Paul is reminding Timothy what he wants us to have our focus on. Because Paul knows in God's word the message of Christ is boldly proclaimed. And that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through that word of Christ. And though he has every right to be very, very afraid, he still stands, his foot resting on the firm foundation of his life, the rock of his salvation, the rock of Jesus Christ. See, what that painting shows us is what Paul wanted to remind Timothy of in his letter. That despite the circumstances that Paul found himself in, despite his imprisonment and the struggles and hardship that he faced, Paul has not lost sight of his true foundation in life. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and on that confession, the rock of that confession, God has built his church so that not even the gates of hell, let alone the gates of his lowly prison cell, could ever prevail over it. That even in the face of death, Christians are called to remain firm in their foundation in Christ Jesus. Or as Paul said in an earlier letter to the Ephesian church, that you are no longer strangers and aliens to God, but because of Christ, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being 
the cornerstone. It is that firm foundation in life that Paul's hope rests. And it's that firm foundation that though his earthly life is about to end, he still stands firmly fixed upon. It's the very same foundation that he started his adult life zealously persecuting, and then after a fateful trip to Damascus, spent the rest of his adult life faithfully proclaiming. It's the foundation that he wants to ensure that Timothy and the church never forgets. Yet Paul also knows that it's not always easy to keep the foundation of our life on God's word and on Christ's saving grace for us. Even telling Timothy just before our reading that days will be difficult because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, and lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Sadly, how many in our world today does that list accurately describe? Perhaps sadder if you and I were to honestly look at our own lives, how often does that list accurately convict us that if you were to put yourself in that painting, what would the lights be shining on? Would it be God's word and what that means for you in your life? Or would it be on your own egotistical view of yourself? What would be the foundation that you rest your foot upon? Would it be the rock of your salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord? Or would it be on the foundation you've built up for yourself through your careers, through your retirement funds or social standing, academic or athletic ability? If we were to be honest with ourselves, how often do we and are we tempted to make the foundations of our life those things that please us even when they go over and against what God's will is for us in our lives. Yet even Paul himself would admit that there were times where the foundation of his life was not always the rock of Jesus Christ and God's word. And so as this list convicts us, as our sin very accurately convicts us, in the midst of that, we receive a gift. See, this epistle reading, 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, is not just a list of reminders and instructions for Timothy to go and try and make sense of once Paul has passed but it's a reminder that the foundation of all Christian life is in that which God has already done. Paul, while acknowledging the reality of his own impending death, reminds us, reminds Timothy and you and I today that we very truly live with that gift. A gift that transcends any earthly struggle or hardship. A gift that transcends even our own earthly lives. 
the gift of God's word in our life, the gift of being made wise for salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord, the gift of Christ Jesus himself, whose blood set us free not to be strangers and aliens to God, but whose blood set us free to be the children of God. And it is that gift that the church is called to proclaim. The gift of Christ Jesus is what Paul wanted to make sure he reminded Timothy in his last letter. And in view of his earthly death, you could say that's the gift that he wanted to make sure that he told the next generation. And it's the gift that Christ's church is all about. To proclaim that gift, to strengthen the faith of those who are saved, and to save those who are lost. Today at St. Paul's, after the 1045 services, we get to celebrate a small part of that mission. Today, after the 1045 services, we get to have the ceremonial laying of the cornerstone for the new school building. Long before the days of architectural design on computers and laser pinpoint measurements, the cornerstone was the single brick, the single stone that, whose reference every other stone in the building would be laid. If the cornerstone was off, if its position was wrong, the entire design would fail. So then what an amazing comfort it is that the true cornerstone, the firm foundation that school building will have, the true cornerstone and firm foundation that St. Paul's as a church that this congregation has is not the ceremonial piece of masonry we lay this afternoon, nor is it the engraved piece of stone outside the West Narthex. And in your own life, the true cornerstone and firm foundation is not the things that you've built for yourself. No, the true cornerstone and foundation of your life that this church proclaims, that you are called to proclaim in Christ, is the same thing that St. Paul himself proclaimed. That Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And that in him, God has given us a firm foundation that will never falter. And therefore, whatever you do, whatever you say, and whatever you build, it is to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.